Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oh, what's the world coming to just listening there to the news? Another four cent on the point. Diageo have announced to put it up 12 cent in February. Another four cent going on the point from August. And that's the range of Diageo products as well. So Smithic drinkers, etc. will uh, be paying more for the pint of plain or bitter come August time. And there'll be gnashing of teeth all over the place. And on the Wednesday club this evening, there'll be a big debate about this for sure. Will it put them on? I doubt it very much. Anyway, four cent. Up goes the pint again from August. Welcome to late lunch this uh, Wednesday afternoon as the weather appears as it does every day on the TV screens around me here in the studio. And we're going to talk climate for the next while because a very good friend of ours, he's great to us, he really is, Emeritus Professor John Sweeney, Ireland's foremost expert on climate change, joins me again. Afternoon, John. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thank you for joining me on the show. I was just thinking of an old saying, remember Roman times, are we fiddling while Mother Earth burns? Well, it's a very good, uh, very good description, I think. Um, what we're seeing at the moment um, is, is quite unusual in that we have simultaneous crises, simultaneous heat waves all around the world in about five different places at the same time. China, the US, uh, Korea... Japan, and of course, Southern Europe, where we've really had an exceptional event still going on, even as we speak today, that the temperature across much of the Mediterranean is well into the 30s, a couple of places nudging 40 degrees, which is pretty unthinkable for us here in Ireland. And of course, you know, we know what's causing this. Um, We can do the modelling of, I suppose, those kinds of events before and after we added greenhouse gases to the atmosphere and we can ask the computer tell us how much more likely these events are now and what surprises me was it comes back with a figure of up to 100 times more likely than it was um, with with pre-industrial levels of concentration so there's no doubt anymore that we're in the driving seat uh, and we're, we're the ones that may be accused there for a fiddling uh, while Rome burns in the future. Uh, I, I've often wondered what will the next generation say to us? Yes. Um, you know, they will say, well, you knew what was going on. Why, why didn't you do something about it? And that's going to be a very hard question for for your grandchildren to ask you uh, in twenty years' time. I think. Yes, for sure, John. And 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 that's the questions they will be asking if things go on as they are. Put it in context for listeners. Since the industrial revolution, uh, the world has warmed by one point one percent centigrade, and people would say, "Well, that's a very small amount." But small amounts are significant, aren't they? 
Well, if you think of where all the energy is stored in the world, 90% of all the heat that we have generated as, as humans uh, from the greenhouse effect, 90% of that has been absorbed by the ocean. And, uh, you know, that's, that's huge. Uh, it means that, you know, the oceans can mix that to a bit more depth so they're not warming up as much as the land, as quickly as the land at the moment. But it means, you may think, 1 to 1.5, it's seemingly insignificant. And on a day-to-day basis in Ireland, of course, we, we probably would welcome an extra 1 or 2 degrees on an average day. Mm. But when you average that out over the globe, it has very important impacts. The first impact, of course, is that it's going to cause the oceans to warm up and to expand. And this is the major driver of sea level at the moment. And even 1.5 degrees um, will obliterate some of the low-lying islands in the Pacific and in the Indian Ocean. It's quite interesting. When I was at the Paris Agreement uh, in 2015, we were all talking about two degrees of, of dangerous, being dangerous climate change. And we waited and waited and waited for that agreement to come out. And when it came out, the efforts to retain temperatures below 1.5 degrees kind of caught us by surprise. And it was really inserted at the behest of people like the Marshall, Marshall Islands who said, two degrees is no use to us. Uh, we're obliterated at two degrees. Our culture is going to be dispersed. Our homelands are going to be gone. We have to look at what will happen at lower temperatures than that. And so the world has tried to stay beyond, below 1.5 degrees of warming. And at the moment, we're at 1.1 or so degrees, 1, 1.15. So we're not too far away from that uh, threshold limit at which not just the islands of the Pacific will start disappearing, coral reefs will begin to go quickly, the melting out of the big glaciers on Greenland and Antarctica, that may well start in an uncontrollable way. So even if we got very good in 20 years' time and stopped emitting to the atmosphere, those things would still rumble on and we may not be able to recover from the consequences of them. So it, it doesn't sound very much, I agree, but it is, if you like, the, the threshold at which we may face un, see, well, un, un, unrecoverable consequences. And that, that's something that we don't want to bequeath to the next generation. Oh, for sure. Interesting you mentioned the oceans. Cathy Sheridan is writing in the Times today uh, about these uh, ta- the tax and coffee cups, but she refers to the ocean and the oceans and the absorbing they have done so far and what we've done there. The other thing I see, she says, it's interesting. She says, the time for climate, what aboutery is gone. But John, when you have vested interests who don't really consider the uh, generations to come, it's a huge battle, isn't it? It is. And the what aboutery issue is often trotted out. You know, what about China? What about India? What about the United States? And that's kind of pointing the finger at people and saying, well, we're, we won't do anything. We won't jump till we all jump together. And that really is a, a morally bankrupt argument. If we don't play our part in contributing to a reduction in emissions, and let's remember, we emit 50% more greenhouse gases than our European average colleagues. If we don't do our bit, then the finger will be pointed at us. And if we have a major event um, which we need help for down the road, 
going to be hard going along to our friends and saying, look, help us out. And they will rightly say, well, what did you do to, to solve that or help solve the problem yourself? So the time of water battery is gone. But you're right as well. The time of national self-interest hasn't gone. And that's, that's a big obstacle that we all face internationally. We face it at COPs meetings every, every December when countries look after themselves and the negotiators have given briefs not to give too much away. But it applies internally as well. It applies to powerful vested interests within Ireland. Uh, and and they, they are not very keen on having their short-term profits compromised either. So it really requires leadership. It requires a radical change in thinking um, and a radical change whereby society gets its wishes expressed through our elected representatives in a meaningful way and not in a way where we get misinformation and populist rhetoric uh, and short-termism coming out. It's very difficult as well because politicians need to be re-elected to be in power to make decisions and they're put there by, you know, different interests as well as the, the population in general. But John, you know, agriculture, of course, is in the spotlight in this country and it means an awful lot of this country because it generates so much income, the jobs involved, etc. You also have, of course, the issue of oil, gas, coal and all uh, that area as well. What what can we do? I said this to you before because I sit here listening to you today and it's catastrophic. And, and, and when you talk about all the places in the world, just look at it. Look at our own climate as well, the way it changes and swings and uh, roundabouts with it. W- what would you say? If you had the say today, John, I'll put you in as the, the man with all the power in, the, in in this little country. What would you do as a few measures immediately? Well, immediately I would start uh, trying to reduce our emissions of methane because methane gives us the biggest bang for our buck in the short term. I think we've made some bad choices in in agricultural policy over the past few years since the milk quota um, was removed. I think uh, we've led farmers and have a great deal of sympathy for them into areas of unsustainable futures. Uh, So I would start um, having to maybe reduce the growth in the dairy herd considerably. I think we need a, a quite a, a savage reduction in that, um, maybe up to 30%. And I would do that not by culling. I would do it by maybe eliminating artificial insemination, slowly but surely reducing that herd uh, until we get to a point at which we have more stability and more sustainability in our national emissions. I would start looking at how we use fertiliser. I'm not awfully convinced that the nitrates directive is working uh, and the nitrates plan is working effectively to reduce our emissions from from fertilisers. I would look also, I think, at diversifying, encouraging farmers to grow the kind of things that we're importing in huge quantities at the moment, but which we can grow in Ireland and give us that little bit more of food security in terms of vegetables, in terms of um, arable crops that we're otherwise importing at huge costs. So I know there are problems with all of this, but I think we have to start shifting the dial away from monoculture. We learned the lesson of monoculture uh, in the famine times. Uh, And I think uh, monoculture of of dairying is is liable to leave us in that kind of a precarious position once either market trends change or once regulation, which ultimately will have to come, becomes fairly ruthless. Uh, And and that that would be an unfortunate thing to happen to people that I have a great deal of respect for and a great deal of admiration for. Um, And I think that's where the just transition element should therefore kick in. 
Um, I don't believe our millionaire farmers should get just transition, I must say. But I think the people, the family farms, the smaller farms, those are people who look after biodiversity very well. And I think we have to encourage them in the future much more. Really interesting. What about the area then, a couple of other areas? I just see today uh, in terms of motoring and emissions, etc., they're talking about uh, banging on much greater tax on larger vehicles, preventing vehicles uh, going into urban areas, making them vehicle free altogether. Would, Would measures like that help? Well, I think we've seen that um, transport emissions went up 6% in last year alone. And it's very hard to disentangle us from our cars. I mean, we're almost surgically attached to our cars in Ireland. Our cars travel, I think, almost twice as much in an average year as the average German car does. And that's a reflection of our dispersed population uh, and the need for cars in rural areas, which I think is undoubtedly true. But I think there are steps we can take. I think we can can encourage the electrification, which is well suited to rural environments. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, we, we shouldn't really write them off and think it's only an urban thing. I think we also though, do need to look at public transport and get that in, in order and get it in a way where it becomes convenient for people to use as an alternative to cars. Um, and, and that's perhaps the way that many countries have gone. And uh, I think our, ultimately we will have to go. I think for the, for the polluter pays principle, uh, I think the SUVs have to start paying the true cost of the damage they do to the environment, either in road surface uh, or in emissions. And I think, you know, we, we can't expect people to go down the road of electrification while at the same time huge sales of, of more polluting and heavy vehicles are occurring. So that will happen. And I think, yes, we do have to restrict cars in the city centres where there are alternatives in terms of public transport. We have to restrict free parking uh, for many corporate bodies, which still exists in many city centres. And those are hard things to swallow. I mean, I wouldn't like them myself. But these are the kind of ruthless um, social changes that we're going to have to undergo if we want to really make a dent in this problem in the years ahead. We love convenience for sure, but it seems these changes are on the way Uh, today. The Tax Strategy Group have announced those among others. The home and where we live and insulation and oil burns. I I have oil myself, kerosene or whatever. I'd like to make a change, insulating homes, things like that. Is there enough assistance or encouragement there, John? Because a lot of people, it's a big expense for people to outlay. It is. And I think, you know, there should be a lot more encouragement uh, there should be a lot more subsidy. The one-stop shop for your, for people like yourself should be a, a much more easy thing to actually get your house sorted out in. Um, and I think, you know, but at the same time, let's not blame people. Let's not pin blame on individuals. We need the facilitation of those kind of things to be done from higher level. We need leadership to enable the systems to help people like yourself and who, who people want to do the right thing, not to have to go through the mill and bureaucracy and expenses especially and you know heaven's sakes we we spend so much money on on things in Ireland which are not as productive as insulating your house so uh, I I think it's very important that we reorientate much of our finance flows to help people make the right choices in their homes.
And after all, it will be a home that's warmer, a home that's healthier, uh, a home that's cheaper in the end of the day uh, to maintain heat for uh, once you get these kinds of things done. So uh, I'm very much in favour, as you say, of of moving uh, much more in the way of subsidies towards that. Um, before we finish up, you've mentioned quite uh, a few areas there that we in Ireland could take action on, you know, nearly straight away and put uh, initiatives and programmes in place to make that happen over the coming months and years. Back to what about Ray and everybody else? Do we need buy-in across the globe? You know, if there's rogues out there who just won't, you know, absolutely uh, say, no, no, we're not getting involved. And as you say, when they go to negotiations, they have their remits as well. That shouldn't stop us, but in a global sense, will the penny ever drop, John? Well, I think it's happening. Um, uh, as we speak, uh, John Kerry is speaking with yes. his Chinese counterparts about this issue. And John Kerry has been hes been very well connected with the Chinese climate people for the best part of 20 years now. And I'm quite, I'm quite optimistic that those two, the largest two polluters in the world, will see the writing on the wall for themselves. China in particular, you know, it's at 50 degrees of, of heat in Western China the other day. They're going to start saying to themselves, well, those Himalayan glaciers in which we depend so much for the, uh, for the Yangtze, for the Huang Ho, um, they're going to start disappearing and they're going to therefore have awful consequences uh, for our agriculture down the road. So it's in their self-interest to tackle emissions. And as far as the United States is concerned, of course, uh, they're profligate in terms of energy use. And I think that's going to be an important consideration for them down the road. So there is mutual self-interest involved here. Uh, and I think it will begin to dawn on the big powers that if they want to stay sustainable, if they want to stay economic, uh, then we have to ta- they have to tackle their own national uh, trajectories much more ruthlessly than they have at the, in the past. Final one, John, just to, I'm getting messages here. Here's an interesting one I just picked out. Growing crops and vegetables is not very profitable, while dairy is. So if you want to get people to change farming practices, you will have to ensure profitability. I'll just uh, give you this comparison, says a listener. Uh, A bag of potatoes will feed a family for a week with other stuff, of course. It's cheaper than a bottle of wine or a pint. There's not enough uh, respect or uh, money paid for quality food, says a listener. Yes, I agree completely. I mean, I think the farmer is at the very rough end of the of, of scale here, a price taker rather than a price maker. Uh, and, and certainly uh, I would agree also that um, we have to make those kinds of alternatives, those diverse products and crops that were mentioned, we have to make them more rewarding for farmers than they are at the moment. Uh, if the milk price falls, for example, in the next year or two, uh, it's going to cause awful um, difficulties for for our dairy farmers. So I think you know the time is right to try and look at those alternatives to that, and uh, perhaps uh, give a wee bit more stability to the market, and maybe even um, begin to get farmers. Um, capable of negotiating better deals for their produce uh, than they are at the moment. Because I think at the moment, um, it's the supermarkets, it's the big retail operations Mm. that really call the shots. And I, I don't think that's right. I think we should have a much more... I think we should pay more for our food, quite honestly, than we do at the moment. But I think as well, we have to make that food 
uh, in Ireland, if at all possible, rather than having the big supermarkets import it ready-made from uh, from other places. Last word, John. James wants to know, will you please ask the Professor Jerry, is the war on the Ukraine having an effect on global warming? No, um, it, it's, uh, it's putting a lot of particulates into the atmosphere, undoubtedly. But the evidence is so far that it's not really. The big effect it will have will be on global food security in the years to come because if the grain deal that's being touted at the moment doesn't go through, Russia and the Ukraine are two very important breadbaskets. And what we're seeing at the moment with simultaneous heat waves in other breadbasket areas of the world, uh, that means that our food security globally may well become a more important concern uh, in years to come. But in terms of uh, in terms of all those explosions and so on, changing climate uh, in the short term, uh, I, I don't think we're seeing uh, a great impact as yet. But I could be proven wrong down the road when the, the monitoring of particulates in the atmosphere comes through. But uh, my gut feeling is it's, it's not really a big factor at all at the moment. John, it's always great to have you with us on the show. Professor John Sweeney, thanks a million for your uh, contribution to my show today. It's really, really appreciated, John. Thanks, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Emeritus Professor John Sweeney there, Ireland's foremost expert on climate change. With all the elites, this is uh, further to my conversation with Professor John Sweeney a moment ago. Um, a listener says, with all the elites flying when and where they want on their private jets, Ireland can never make a mark on the climate battle. Tax beyond our means to try to balance the rest of the world. It's pure madness. And remember too, Jerry, we stopped our turf work and we now have to buy from Europe, says a listener. Look, there are many issues. I, I couldn't disagree with you. There are so many issues and people are afraid. People who are earning a good living and doing well in that to change is extremely difficult. It really, really is. But I was thinking about this. That's why I asked John back to the show to talk to us about this whole situation. And really, it's getting to a point where it's going to tip over. And you just see ourselves here in this country, the way it Oh, the weather. We had six lovely weeks and then into this. Would you ever believe July would be like this? Storms in the winter time of the year. We're not immune from it. But the one thing is this, I was thinking as well, with the heat in Southern Europe, if that continued, well, we'd be a pretty attractive destination to go on holiday, wouldn't we? Or maybe we'd even have refugee tourists from climate coming to this country as well. It's something that affects us all. And we can say the other man has to do his bit, a woman in another country as well. But we got to begin with the power of one ourselves here. And if we don't begin well there'll be no excuses John said in the long term when we're in trouble and we have to reach out for help but you'd hope that the world the people with power and influence and decision making in the world would eventually cop now that it is time to act and act soon Late Lunch LMFM Radio coming up shortly on the show Killian Donnelly yes is joining me in studio I can't wait but taking us up to top of the hour at two on your late lunch this afternoon is Mr Dermot Kennedy and better days there will be better days than this the weather will turn for the better I promise better days are coming if no one told you 
You know the saying worth waiting for? Well, that's what's in my mind today because it's just been so long since he's been in studio with me. Killian Donnelly, welcome back. Thank you so much, Jerry. Thank you very much. The place looks amazing. You're keeping it gorgeous. <laughs> Love the lick of paint you gave us. <laughs> well, well. Y- you do have a brush tied to you know what in here. You know, I you, won't, won't argue with you with that one at all. Anyway, you're looking swell, man. Ah, thank you very much. You really are. And uh, my God, there's been a lot of water under the bridge from the last time. When was it you were here? God, oh, it's the years last... ago, isn't it? I, I would easily say about four or five years ago that Easy. I've been in studio. I've been mm. talking to you since, yeah. but in studio, I think it was getting ready for Les Mis in London. Yes. That's what I think it was, because yeah. I think we parted ways and you said, I'm coming over to see you, and you did. We did. But that was Les Mis London. So yeah. since then, I've done Les Mis uh, UK and Ireland tour, and then I did Phantom tour for a small bit, and then Phantom in uh, in London. Mm. Finished that, and now I'm home. So it's been about the bones of like four or five oh, years. Oh, it certainly is. Anyway, we're here now, and you mentioned you finished up with Phantom early on in the year. Is Phantom finished? You know, they had the big thing in New York where he said goodbye to it. Yeah, New York, New York, New York Stone. But it started in London in 1985 yes. in Crawford, so it's still going there. I think post pandemic it was just impossible to keep it mm. going. What I, The rumour I heard was it costs something like a million a month. Uh, no, it costs three million a month to keep it going on Broadway. Wow. And they were taking in a million because people yes. just at the time weren't going back to the mm. theatre enough. Mm. So they're like, we got to pull the plug. But it's Phantom. They can stop it for a year and then they can go, oh, the Phantom's coming back and then it'll sell out. Yeah, I had a conversation with Cameron McIntosh and it was one of the most amazing conversations where he said, it is an, there's an art form to opening a show. There's a greater art form to closing a show because you announce the Phantom will be closing in four months and people will buy every ticket. Mm. So then you go, we have now extended by four months. And before you know it, you've actually extended a year <laughs> but with sold out shows. So you always have to do that. There um, you are. Revelation of the psychology, folks, today. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. Absolutely. <laughs> I actually saw it in New York. We, we went to see it one time. We saw Phantom in New York many years ago. Uh, we saw the production over there Amazing. and it was, it was wonderful. Um, you mentioned Les Mis would be the same would it they stop yeah. it and then it'll come back yeah, yeah. Les, Mis, Les Mis is a different one because there's like there's different age groups of characters so you have students that should be 19 and 20 which is what I played when I first joined then you have your Valjeans and your Javerts which are in their late 30s and 40s but with Broadway contracts if you stay for a year you never have to leave where in London, you are given a 12-month contract and you are asked back whether you want to stay or not. So okay. it's a different contract. Yeah. So there were people in their 40s playing students. And <laughs> like, literally, I remember hearing a story where Cameron went to see it and there was like these American 45-year-olds going, I'm not climbing that barricade. It's like, get up the thing. <laughs> get up. But, but that's the thing. They were like, they're definitely going to lose. <laughs> and they did. So, yeah, there's all different contracts of Broadway versus West End. Well, you're back home now. I am. And you are flying in the new production, Fun Home. Yeah. Please, tell us. Fun Home. Do you know what? I've been saying this to a lot of people. It's like I hold back telling people what it is because there's some dark themes. Mm. There's some trauma, but it's a comedy. Yeah. And... I, I always actually think about Les Mis. If, if you had asked me, Les Mis, what's it about? I'd be like, the set turns around a lot for three hours and everyone dies. It's not really something to draw you in. But Fun Home, I remember seeing it when I was in Kinky Boots on Broadway. 
and I went to the cast I want to see a show and every single person said go see Fun Home bought a ticket and it stuck with me for a week afterwards I just had to go see it again it was 90 minutes long straight through no interval so you never had that moment to relax and applaud and go get a drink and come back you just it was just a brilliant movie that you watched but in a nutshell it's about Alison Bechtel who wrote the comic who of her own life and it's her reflecting on her life from the moment she came out in her college years to four months later when her father passed away and what she uncovers is a lot of secrets and this actually happened it's based on a true story and she calls her work a tragic comic because there are some uh, traumatic moments in the show but it's done through comedy and everyone goes is that really a good uh, backdrop for a musical and she wrote a comic she didn't write a novel she didn't write Uh, a really serious book. She wrote a comic about all of these traumatic moments. Then Hollywood came knocking because it was a New York bestseller and she said, no, it's not a movie. I don't want to make the movie of it. It's not. I just want to put it to bed. I've done it. I've I've done it as a therapeutic thing for myself. And Lisa Crone came thinking it's a musical. This comic sings. So she wrote a 35-minute demo of all the music. And Alison Bechtel heard it and she went, this is completely elevating it to another level. This is what it needs. And that was about 15 years ago. And then it hit Broadway in 2015. It did the West End in 2018. And now this is the Irish premiere. So, yeah, to be involved with it. It's quite an overwhelming reaction because a lot of people that you meet afterwards are going, I didn't have a clue what it was about. My dad included. He was like, I didn't have a clue what it was about. And it's quite overwhelming how they yes. talk about it and what it, how they see characters in it that reflect on their own mm. lives. And I think that's... that's Because at the end of the day, it's all about fathers and daughters. You're the dad. I'm the dad. <laughs> I used to play the young lad. <laughs> The Gossin you called me when we first chatted and now it's like I'm a dad and I'm getting all the dad roles and I actually remember the first dad role was Val John and the phone rang and my agent went how are you doing um, Les Mis have been on the phone I went okay what student are they looking at me for no Val John I was like I'm 35 really yes so all of a sudden you're playing dad roles and there's mm. white in your beard <laughs> you're not darkening anymore and uh, yeah I've loved it and there's there are two, uh, there's three generations of Alison That's in right. the show. Yeah. So there's 10 year olds, there's 20 year olds, and then there's a 40 year old. And my character is in, his, I think he's 42. So it is amazing to be backstage and have like four girls just going, hi, dad. Hi, dad. It's like, oh, my, I have a three year old. Like, this is too much for me. Um, but it's, it's yeah, it's it's wonderful. I love, like, it's easier for me to be at this age playing the dad roles because yes. you just you're allowed to be a little bit out of shape <laughs> you're allowed to sit there and sing songs I don't have to pull my shoulders back and have the pecs are now moobs so it all works <laughs> I saw the photograph as well that's you in the photograph with the glasses yeah. on my god I had to look twice uh, it's some transformation isn't it it's amazing because I I'm I, I will have long hair and a beard and then I'll be chatting to you mm. and then the costume department at the gate and the costume supervisor and the hair and makeup team, they just get their hands on you and then they go, this is Bruce Bechtel. This is what he is. And you stand in front of the director and she just lost it. She was like, that's him. It's amazing. And I've never, ever been one of those actors when I'm in rehearsals going, I need the costume. I need something. 
until Phantom. I needed the mask. Mm. I needed it to to sort of get into the character. With Bruce, it was just a pair of glasses because he uses his glasses a lot to take them off and put them back on. And it was it really, really changed the character. And I can see him, which is an odd thing. I've never been like that to look at my reflection in a mirror and go, OK, now I am Bruce. But I do see it. I see what the audience mm. see. And at the end of the day, when you've got the song to sing and the script, you know that it's all coming together. It's, it's a good confidence boost as well when you're on stage and, you know, I look the part. When you read, I don't know whether you read this, but I, I read uh, the critique of it and it's getting rave reviews, let mm. me say, the show. But one in particular stuck with me. They said that you walked off the pages of the original script mm. into this role. Oh, that's, that's some lovely. tribute. That's really lovely. I didn't know that. That's really, really lovely. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm someone who, if you get a, uh, a terrible review... It can be one thing. If you get a beautiful review, it can actually at times probably do more damage because you'll be trying to play up to the beautiful review if they mention things in particular. So I tend to take a step back uh, from reading reviews. But what I have seen is the overwhelming five stars across the board. I've never been involved with anything like that. Even Les Mis got the odd four. But five stars across the board from the big critics mm. in Ireland. Mm. Uh, it's just been really welcomed. And we all, the, the most beautiful thing is there's six of us on stage and there's a team of about 12 backstage. So about 20 of us are just backstage at the gate going, this is quite overwhelming, isn't it? Let's do it again tonight. And it is amazing. There's not a team of 150. Yes. It's just a small group of us. It's very Irish backstage is what I love. We're all talking about what are you doing? Where'd you go for your walk? What are you doing? Oh, yeah. Were you looking at that show? No, I tell you what box said I'm watching. Hang on. Let's do the show. Come back. Hold that thought. It's beautiful. <laughs> and um, I think it's 100% of what I've been missing at home. It feels it feels like home and we get to do I've always wanted to do what I love mm. at home mm. and it's just rare. It's so rare. Uh, you get offered a 12 month contract over in London and in Ireland it's beautiful when you get a 12 week. So this is the 12 week one I've been dying for. And yeah, I was in London and the, I remember when the season was announced and it had fun home in the season. I was in Phantom and one of the actors in Phantom came knocking on my door and went, the gate have announced fun home. I was like, oh, I'd love to be seen for that. So what you then do is contact your agent and it's like this as if you want to go on the first date with someone. You want them to know that you like them, but how do we ask them out and what's the correct way? So my agent sort of, it was like slipping a letter under the door. He just put a call into the casting. I hear you're doing fun home. I represent Killian Donnelly. They're like, oh, he's on our radar. And there was this back and forth for months. And then out of the blue, my agent rings me and he goes, they've offered you fun home. And I, I met the director and we chatted and I was really, really over the moon until I meet the costume department six weeks in and he goes oh you were the number one choice the whole time I was like why didn't no one tell me this I could have relaxed but it was just this we wanted to know that you wanted it I was like of course I wanted well, it well you see it's a courtship but absolutely you know, but from now on I'm just going to ring them and go I want this <laughs> right let's cut the middleman out I want this and when they hear Killian Donnelly they'll be saying sure thing <laughs> Killian Donnelly's in the house and he's appearing in Fun Home it's running at the Gate Theatre in Dublin opened on the, the 6th of June line it runs to the 26th of august they need to get tickets they do need to get tickets it's selling fast do you know what i always it, it's coming home word of mouth sell shows yeah here. you can have all the reviews and you can put the posters up everywhere but the best thing is word of mouth and word of mouth is hopping because my phone is hopping from people going i hear it's amazing 
but I'm the same. I'm terrible for buying tickets for something. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I actually really want to see. Mm. I'll do it last minute and then oh, we never got tickets it sold out. So ever since word of mouth has started, the houses are building up. The gate is a small, intimate space. Yes. And you'll probably be like, oh, the two rows at the back are empty. And now it's like the two seats at the back are empty. Yeah. And that's your Mondays and Tuesdays. So it's going, it's yeah. going fast. So, um, yeah, but yeah, it's going well. The Gate Theatre, gatetheatre.ie. The tickets are on sale there. The box office is 0187 44045. That's 0187 44045 for the box office. Only till the 26th of August. you got to get your tickets. Look, I looked. First of all, may I say to you, congratulations. New baby on the way. You mentioned you're the dad in this fun home. But you're going to be dad multiplied by two soon. Dad multiplied by two. Yeah, 14th of September is the due date. Great month. Great month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your birthday is September. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, Tig, my son, is three. And we're at that stage now. Are you going to be... Oh, are you happy to be a big brother? Nah, nah. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Um, I've been talking to people. They say it's easier second time around. There are other people who say, no, it's harder. So we'll see how we get on. But we are beyond excited to... And we feel very, very lucky. Um, yeah, I, t- I kind of getting into... I'm 39 now. And I know when I hit 40, it'll be like, what, what, what do I want to do? Do I just want to do shows all the time and go, hey, everyone, look at my CV or what do I want do I want a family and it's always been a family I always wanted to be a dad I love now that I'm playing dads it's just uh, yeah it's as someone said it's the part you were born to play I was like there was no dress rehearsal <laughs> but it's it's great I'm there re- isn't there isn't and there's no opening night it just keeps happening <laughs> and as you mentioned dads he's here in studios with us your dad Liam he's a great man he, he really is. is a great man you are a lucky guy yeah. to have a father like this and a mum and a family like you have as well but Liam I have to tell you I call him your agent uh, he's my agent mam's PR yeah and, and Liam you know I always if I'm having trouble with you you yeah. know where the phone call goes <laughs> yes, and then you're back to me in no time. <laughs> he is a vital cog in the link here, <laughs> yeah. but he's a great man. He's very kind to me here and I'm delighted he's with you in studio today here. He's sitting quietly ah, there lovely, uh, uh, watching us uh, chatting, uh, chatting away here. Look, when you look at where you start and you did perform in The Gate many moons ago and you look at that arc where you went away to Broadway and to London as well on the West End, back here for a little bit, back over there again, all the roles you've played is there one that you'd say ah yeah that tops the rest do you ever think about that I do yeah and it was like but something like this I could say 
Bruce Bechtel and Fun Home will be it. Now, in five years' time, I could be talking to someone and go, I played Bruce Bechtel and Fun Home. And they'd be like, what? Who, who's that? Because I say to people, I played Huey Calhoun in Memphis. And to see Memphis, people were blown away. Mm. And it stuck with them. And they go, I remember seeing Memphis. Other people would be like, what's Memphis? Mm. So there's a lot of shows that people don't know about. Um, Kinky Boots is one that sort of people do know about. Yes. And that had a success. But um, yeah... I've chased two roles in my life. One I told you was Fun Home when I rang them. And the other was Tony Elliott and Billy Elliott, uh, the brother. And it's just a role I always wanted to play. I knew if I had it on the CV, going into the next audition, if you've got that on the CV, you immediately go into another bracket because directors are like, oh, he's done Tony Elliott. It's an acting role. So it's not singing and big voice like a lame is or a phantom because a lot of people can pigeonhole you and go so you're Val John and phantom we know exactly the type of performer you are but if on your CV as well you have Tony Elliott Bruce Bechtel they know that you're able to act as well so you always want to uh, build up the CV so that it slams down at your next audition rather than you did lame is for 14 years yeah. it's like in 14 years you've done 14 different roles yeah. you just need it to be strong mm. That's why you got to see Fun Home. This man says it's the best ever. And it's, it's only till the 26th of August you got to go and see it. Um, the Baby's on the Way, of course, which just happens after the run in the gate. You I always, timed that well, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, timed, timed it. Timed that so well. I feel like I'm like a Hugh Jackman or something where I ring my agent and go, look, I'm having a baby in September. I'm going to be off for summer. Get me a gig. <laughs> but it just landed so well. If we extend, we're in trouble. Oh, well, well, let's see what happens there. But that's the point I was going to ask you. Beyond this then, you know, you always told me you, you do a deal on a contract. As you mentioned, 12 months one's there and uh, it's either renewed or whatever whatever it's a bit precarious though isn't oh it? yeah it's the life you sign up for I did a, an interview with a, and I remember the question that was asked was you have signed up for a life of not knowing what tomorrow brings and I was like what do you mean and it's so true I know I'm employed until August 26th but August 25th I could get a phone call going you're in the new Marvel series and that's the next 18 months uh, and then you have like two days to talk to your wife going, I'm off to Canada for six months to film this. It's the life you sign up for. There's never a dull day. There are there are re uh, uh, days that are so down. Right now, America's SAG is in the middle of a strike and I did six self-tapes and my agent rang me and go, so every single one of those self-tapes, the production has halted. So it's not even whether you got it or not. It's just it's not happening. So there's going to be a big pause on anything happening TV and film wise coming from America or uh, huge uh, studios for a, a long, long time. So it is that sort of life that you're used to. So when something like this happens, it's the actor's life. You just know, Grant, look, whatever comes along, comes along. There's always going to be something to, to come. But whether it falls in your lap or not is, is something else. That's why you love when the 12-month contracts come along. Mm. But you love when something special for 12 weeks comes along. Mm, that's interesting that you mentioned that about the strike that's going on at the moment. And uh, we think of all the actors and all the people involved as well. But it's a stance that needs to be taken because if it's not taken now, well, that's what they're talk saying. about uncertainty. Absolutely. That's what they're saying. They're saying there won't be TV and no. film in about 15 to 20 mm. years time mm. unless something is done now because they're all talking about AI. And one of the things they talk about is scanning faces and all this. But yes. Yeah, we'll see. 
Anyway, it's great to see you. Ah, it's it's great, great to have you in you here too. face to face. Wonderful to have your dad Liam with us here. How as are you? Well. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. I'm still scratching around in the same old hole. I love it. I love it. <laughs> New like paint, would say. <laughs> but I'm loving it, and I'm still loving it. Thank you for asking. Thank you for I do appreciate me. it. Anyway, fun home, Gate Theatre, Gate Theatre. Dot IE for your tickets until the 26th of August. Killian starring there. Thank you for dropping in. And we're going to finish out today to give them a, a flavour for what Fun Home is. Here is from Fun Home. Come on to the Fun Home. See you, Killian. See you, Jerry. Thanks a lot. If you're listening to us here regular on LMFM radio, you will hear the uh, information about strokes and the FAST campaign. Pauline McGlynn is the voice and the face behind it at the moment. And we're going to talk about stroke for the next while on the show. I'm delighted to welcome uh, Too Late Lunch from Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital, Dr. Zul Khalil, who's stroke registrar there and stroke advanced nurse practitioner, Helen Hobson. You're both very welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thanks very much. Thanks very much, Eric. Um, Helen, you got in touch with me about this initially and you said, would you mind if we came on the show and talked about this? And you sent me some stats that actually stuck me to the ground, to be honest with you, when it comes to stroke, because it, it goes without saying, doesn't it? Speed is of the essence when somebody has the symptoms. Absolutely. The quicker you can get to hospital, I suppose, the more options we have in terms of treatment. And tell us the stats that you've produced from Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital that caught my attention. So I suppose um, in Our Lady of Lourdes, we have approximately 250 strokes per year coming into us. And unfortunately, only um, less than one third of those are coming within four and a half hours of symptom onset. Now, nationally, what we've seen is um, half of patients come within three hours, but we're locally, we're way off that target. So people are coming quite late after their symptoms, sometimes 24 hours after symptoms and just not giving themselves, I suppose, the chance in terms of the intervention that can be done for stroke now. Uh, Stroke has really come a long way in terms of its treatment and the options that we have available in terms of treatment. So getting to hospital as soon as possible is really important for that. I can't believe that people would wait 24 hours. Mm. That's frightening, isn't it? It's scary and we're seeing it, I suppose, more and more often and it's it's all ages and I think that's important to note with stroke as well. I think people associated with an older population, but a quarter of our strokes happen in under 65s and we're seeing people in their 40s, 50s quite regularly coming into us and often quite late after the symptoms have started. Ideally, what's the, the turnaround? If somebody has symptoms, how quickly, as quick as possible, we should say, is as soon as possible. We, I suppose it's important not to put a real time stamp okay. on it. It's yeah. just as soon as the symptoms start, get yourself to hospital. The more damage it's done as we kind of let the symptoms go. So it's to try to get to hospital as soon as possible. Let's bring Dr. Zul Khalil into the conversation. Thank you for joining me too today on the show. What are the symptoms? What should we be looking out for? 
So I suppose everybody knows the FAST campaign, uh, which is basically stands for face, arm, speech, and T is time, being time dependent, is in get to us as quickly as possible. So face is obviously a facial weakness. This could be left or right, whichever side. Arm is usually an arm weakness, left or right, okay? Uh, and speech is whether or not that could be slurred, or sometimes it could be that you can't actually find the correct words to, to say. Um, although the fast is what a lot of people know about, um, there's also, I suppose, visual symptoms, which basically you get acute or, or sudden onset of blindness, especially um, on the one side, on the peripheral side of your vision. And also um, you obviously can have leg weakness as well. Um, so anything like that, if you have, if it's quite sudden like that, um, then this is, these are symptoms of a stroke and you should be looking for help, really. And what's the thing to do then? Dial the, the emergency number straight away. Is that it? That's what you should do? Yeah, so dial 112 or 999 and I suppose you should be telling them that you think this sounds like a stroke, whether it's yourself or a relative, and get to hospital as soon as possible. Okay, so that's good advice. Ed. Don't hold back. Yeah, so I suppose from a point of view of getting to us quickly uh, and the reason why the all the data that Helen has quoted with regards to getting to us within less than four and a half hours, less than three hours nationally, the reason being is that we have treatments that we can give within, within those time windows. So the longer that you have a stroke, the more damage it does. And if it, the studies show that if it goes beyond, the longer that you leave it, then the more damage is irre, irreversible. Mm. So if you get to us as quickly as possible, especially if it's within less than three hours or less than four and a half hours, then ultimately there are treatments that we can give to try and limit that damage and reverse it altogether. Um, so, you know, we talk about, um, or what we do I in hospital is, is that we can give um, a drug called intravenous thrombolysis, and that is a clot-busting drug. So, um, you know, that tries to, I suppose, eliminate clot um, and therefore try to reperfuse or get flow back in that blood vessel. Uh, that's one part of it. If it's too big, then what we can do is we can send you up to Beaumont Hospital and our colleagues will literally extract the clot out of the artery in the brain. Um, and then again, that refills that part of the, uh, mm. of the, of the, of the brain. So I always say that it's, it's, it's like your pipes in your house. All right. Um, so uh, from a point of view of the pipes in the house, you can get it clogged. Okay. You put some bleach down. That's probably what thrombolysis is, but maybe a little bit more potent. Okay. Um, or if you can't get it down with, or if you can't get it released with, with bleach, then mm. what you tend to do, do is you call the plumber and he pulls in, he puts in wires through it, try to get, unclog it. And that's essentially what they can do up in Beaumont Hospital as well. So get to us quickly so we can do that but if you don't get to us quickly unfortunately if the damage is already done there's really not much point in doing all those because the damage is done yeah. um, and that's why we, we say get to us quickly and that's why the fast campaign is there you mentioned you know about the implications of this you know uh, speech yeah. memory physically paralysis etc if you get this early intervention can that be eliminated completely that there's no mark left let me say that word mark from a stroke yeah absolutely so what we find is that patients who come in and get treatment 
especially, and this, the, the studies all show this as well, that if you get this treatment in terms of intravenous thrombolysis or thrombectomy, you do extremely well. Okay. All right. So, um, you know, you physically, that is, you'll do extremely well. Now, the, the stroke, there are hidden aspects of stroke that we don't necessarily see, um, you know, when it comes to fatigue, uh, when it comes to cognition, mm. um, those kind of things that we can't, we don't necessarily see. But from a physical perspective, perspective, absolutely get these treatments and, you know, you'll get, you'll, you'll, you'll get much better, much quicker. Helen, you've seen the positive outcomes. You, you've seen what this yeah. can do in a practical sense. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I suppose uh, people themselves will say they can't believe that this can they can go back to how they were a couple of hours. And even sometimes during the treatment, they'll start to see the movement coming back in their hands. So it can be quite quick um, where you see the recovery and with people who can go home very quickly afterwards. I suppose we do some investigations to see why this has happened um, and try and limit the risks of it happening again. And But then people can go home and live life as they were um, prior to their stroke as well. So I suppose that's very important to try to get that message. And across. it's not necessarily, you said earlier on, um, something that happens as we age. You're seeing it in younger people too. Absolutely. Um, I suppose 30s, 40s, 50s, we're seeing all age groups and it can happen at any age. I suppose it's important to look at your risk factors from that point of view. So looking at the likes of smoking, cessation, your blood pressure, knowing what your blood pressure is and treating it if necessary. Uh, weight is can be a huge factor as well um, and also cholesterol. So they're kind of the big things we'll see in our younger population as well, looking at their risk factors. So it's important, I suppose, to regularly attend your GP and get the likes of your blood pressure checked and your bloods checked looking for your cholesterol. Is it always one of those that Helen mentions there that underpins a stroke no matter what age you are? Well, I suppose all those vascular risk factors are very relevant. Um, for example, let's just say hypertension or high blood pressure. Um, if you actually drop your blood pressure or control your blood pressure down by only nine systolic, which is just the number on the blood pressure, you half your risk of having a stroke. Um, so blood pressure is one big thing, obviously. Um, cholesterol is another. We have other conditions called atrial fibrillation. We have conditions called um, carotid disease, which can cause um, strokes. But ultimately, they're all as a result of these risk factors in terms of smoking, hypertension, um, etc. Um, so, yes, we are saying absolutely, if you are developing a stroke, come to us as quickly as you can as you can however to be honest with you it is probably your best interest never to meet me or Helen <laughs> so, so oh I'm privileged today <laughs> so what I would say is that if you're in your 40s your 50s your 60s um, and you think well you know you know this is when hypertension starts this is when hypercholesterolemia starts if you smoke try and start thinking about getting off the cigarettes um, you know, because to be honest with you, like I said, we'd rather not meet you. Yes, and, and that is very good advice. And that's not doing yourselves out of a job either by any means. But here's the thing. You touch on something there. Um, men especially, you're looking at me and I have friends who uh, probably have never visited a GP. Yeah. Never. You know, I'm fine. I'm grand. It's yes. not about me. It's not a good idea. It's well, As you move on, it's 
Absolutely not. Um, like I said, 40s, 50-year-olds, you know, this is when hypertension develops, you know. And it's silent, isn't it? You don't it, realise it. It's perhaps. silent. And I go back to the pipes again, to mm. the house pipes, let's just say. Okay, so if you imagine, you know, your kitchen pipes, you pour grease down that pipe, you know, today, it'll probably not block and it'll probably be fine. Do that every day for the next week, it'll probably block up. Okay, that's if you pour grease. But if let's say you pour a little bit of grease, a little bit of, you know, stuff, your, 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 your food is not necessarily that greasy, you know, over 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, your kitchen pipes will block up. Uh, and that's essentially what the body is like. You know, you, you, you pour things down into your arteries. You yeah. go, okay, after a while, you need help to clear out those arteries. Mm. Um, and, you know, you won't know unless you check. You know, th things like hypertension or high blood pressure, it's quite simple nowadays. You can just check it in the chemist. You can even buy a blood pressure machine. It's fairly cheap nowadays. Um, you know, or visit your GP, obviously. But, but I know a lot of people say that GP visits are, number one, with the cost of living crisis, they're quite expensive. And, and number two is, you know, is, is uh, appointments to try and get into the GP can be a problem sometimes. But, you know, there are things, other things that you can just do to kind of check yourself um, mm. and just if you're listening to this and you think well I'm in my 40s and 50s I've had a fairly good life but not necessarily a fairly healthy life I'd say go check you know mm. your blood pressure your bloods just to see it's a small price to pay a GP for an MOT once a year or whatever, isn't it? Absolutely. It really is. Absolutely. You know, if you want to stay away from seeing these two <laughs> lovely people, it's not a big, you know what I mean? It's not a big expense at all. What about somebody who's had a stroke and has, you know, not seeing you on time and goes into the whole rehab area? What about that aspect? So I suppose there's still a lot that can be done to try and work on this. So we have uh, a great team up in the hospital with physiotherapists, occupational therapists, speech and language therapists, social workers, everyone who gets involved as soon as they come into us. And we'd be working to try and get back some of the movement or the speech or whatever it may be. Um, but it can be time. It takes time. Um, and I suppose with the likes of fatigue from the stroke, that can be a, a quite a long process as well. So we do uh, do a lot while we're doing our medical investigations in the hospital, they'll be getting rehab as well. Um, and then they can either go to a rehab facility or else go home with therapists coming into their home as well, which is a new service that up and running now mm. from Our Lady of Lords. Do you stabilise people, you know, who've been in the category that Helen's talking about there, that need help afterwards, that need rehabilitation? The drugs are there then to steady the ship? Yeah, so uh, ultimately, from a point of view of stroke, um, we can save brain or save the amount of brain if you come in early, like I said. But beyond that, if you don't come in early, um, then whatever damage that has happened, unfortunately, has happened. So recovery is primarily from a point of view of rehabilitation. So mm. it's literally trying to teach your brain again to do use different pathways to work that arm, work that leg, work the speech again. Um, so that's one part of, I suppose, rehabilitation and treatment for stroke. But the second part is also trying to prevent another event from happening. So that's when we will be doing a lot of investigations in terms of scans, blood tests, ECGs, you know, cardiographs, um, heart scans, etc. To try and see, number one is in terms of what risk factor you have and what is the cause for your stroke. And then you will be put on um, medications to try and treat or prevent a future event from happening. 
You've seen a lot of advances, I'm sure, from you've begun in this field to where we are today. And God knows what will happen in the future with, you know, uh, perhaps more interventions to rehabilitate entirely. That's not, you know, science fiction, I, I take it, in the future. Oh, absolutely. So, like I said, so we're we're probably a little bit behind when you can compare to Europe, let's just say. So if mm. you go to Europe um, and you see you've got CT scanners in the ambulance you know, so they're scanning people out in the ambulance, um, thrombolizing, giving the intravenous thrombolysis in the ambulance and then redirecting them towards um, a, an appropriate hospital based on what they, they see on the scan in the ambulance. Mm. Um, you've got fancier and fancier scans now um, as well, because, um, you know, uh, we can based on what your scan look, looks like, we can then uh, decide whether or not um, intravenous thrombolysis or this drug, this medication, the clot buster, or um, pulling out the, um, the the clot with um, thrombectomy, whether or not it's going to be beneficial for you. Mm. So it gets, so although the time frame we have time frames when it comes to four and a half hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, we have different f- time frames for everything. But based on the more advanced imaging that we get or is is coming through, um, the more, I suppose, evolution there is going to be with stroke. Yes. And it continues to evolve. It takes it's 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 it takes a long time to actually keep up with it at this mm. stage because mm. there's so much evolving. It's great to hear, isn't it? It really is great to hear. Final word to yourself this afternoon, Helen, just again to say to people, act quickly, don't hold back, don't err on the side of caution, make that call, move fast. Absolutely. Yeah. If if in doubt, come in and get assessed, I suppose, in the hospital. If you're worried you're having a stroke or someone you know is having a stroke, get to hospital as soon as possible. Call an ambulance and come in. That's the message today, folks. Move with speed. Delighted to meet you both today. I am delighted to meet you both in this <laughs> circumstances. Please, God, I don't uh, on the other side of things. But if I did, I'd be very, very reassured, I have to say. Helen Hobson, stroke advanced nurse practitioner and Dr. Zul Khalil, stroke registrar at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Thanks very much. For having us. Thank you to a listener who's been in touch with me subsequent to my interview with Professor John Sweeney about the climate catastrophe at the uh, start of the show. It says, Hi Jerry. I'm originally from the USA and while I fully support Ireland working towards their climate targets, I feel that there is an unspoken understanding in government that targets won't be met and Ireland would rather pay fines for non-compliance as culling the herd will be politically untenable and there is no urgency in other areas like expediting offshore wind development. Now, um, they have been working on the offshore. I will say that and I see... uh, Eamon the Green leader on the other day in in the context of that but I hear what you're saying listener he goes on to say or she it could be she he or she um, uh, the US and many other nations like China that are significant net carbon emitters do not have as stringent environmental standards as us that's here in Ireland and I don't think it's right that Ireland sacrifice so much when the net effect of the nation is negligible. That's in a world context you're talking there. Excellent. I I, I love the, the tone of your message and the sentiments in it as well. But I do come back to the point that, uh, and I understand, if the big guys don't play ball, well, then we're all goose, that's for sure. But if they don't play ball, 
Surely they see the effects of it as well. Look at the heat. Look at the heat in Arizona is in America today. Highest ever. Look at across Southern Europe. Look what's happening in China. It doesn't register. If the rivers run dry, what will happen? Maybe the penny will drop then at that stage. And what I say to you is, as an Irish person who's lived in this country all his life, I want to do my bit. So many people want to help as well. Our farming community are wonderful. There are people there who want to make changes too. But we've got to do it in a phased and planned manner with people helped along the way and that we change our focus. John is right. If people take a, a view in the world that perhaps dairy or eating that type of stuff is not for them, well, then it'll be a different ball game altogether and be so dependent on one area is a weakness for sure. But I hear what you're saying. But we all got to do our bit. Because if we're waiting for the other man or woman on the other side, I mentioned this earlier on, to do their piece, well, we'll be waiting. We've all got to do our own bit because this, whether we like it or not, is an absolute emergency. And just look where we are in July and the bloody weather we're having at the minute. I'm not saying Ireland is a small nation off the Atlantic and open to weather patterns for sure, but six weeks of absolute dry and then into this stuff. Will we see a good spell again? Who knows? Late lunch, LMFM Radio. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... The number three from this week in 1992. Let's have a listen to it. It's Snap and Rhythm is a Dancer. remember a few nights early in the morning in discotheques dancing to that one there it's a classic dance song isn't it yes from Euro uh, Eurodance German group Snap second single from their album The Madman's Return <laughs> great name for an album isn't it yeah that could apply to somebody running for office in a big country somewhere in the world The Madman's Return six weeks at number one in the UK that song spent six weeks top of the chart top five hit in America as well no surprise yes number three in our top five countdown from this very week in 1992 the World Cup begins for our ladies tomorrow tomorrow morning just to remind you the match Australia is a good few hours ahead of us the game is live at 11am tomorrow morning it's the opening game of the 2023 Women's World Cup Ireland have qualified in case you're living on a different planet for the finals for the first time in our history and Vera Powell brings her team into battle tomorrow against hosts Australia and I want to wish them all the very best it's a huge ask on their opening game it'll be a massive challenge Australia are a very very good side and they're home in this one full house tomorrow morning and Little Ireland there with plenty of support we have to say as well from the expats living there and those who've travelled out to support the girls in green I wish them well tomorrow I really do hope they do well and I'm hoping that Katie Milady from County Meath who we've been talking to she wrote a song about them she spoke to us last Friday she flew out on Sunday she's at the game tomorrow 
fingers crossed I'm going to take a chance and ring her at half one around half one tomorrow to see if we get hold of her in the stadium after the game no matter what way the game breaks one way or the other but anyway that's for tomorrow good luck to the girls in green I'll be watching myself from 11 in the morning thanks to Matt who's come back to me he sent me a message a little while ago about the climate change and I had my own uh, Tuppence worth to throw in. Well, Matt's been back to me uh, from the States to say, Hi, Jerry, thanks for reading my message. I totally agree with you. I believe farmers want to do their part but want clarity on the path forward. Totally agree that Ireland should play its part and I commend their willingness to be part of the solution. In relation to the weather in the US, we are used to warm weather. I'm from Philadelphia and the daily temperature is usually 30 degrees. Air conditioning is universal here. However, I feel feel for the continent you mean there is yes the continent of Europe that's uh, southern Europe and even higher up in Europe uh, as they are not used to those extreme temperatures I didn't realise how much I missed air conditioning myself until I moved here and experienced the heat wave you couldn't live without without air conditioning in that type of heat some more of your comments lovely to hear Killian Donnelly on the show this afternoon says a listener he's a great chap isn't he I love that he's a great chap he really is and you know he never lost the common touch he really never has he's gone on to fantastic things and he is flying now in the musical Fun Home that's uh, showing at the Gate Theatre at the minute always love to meet him and another one there as well Killian great to hear him on your show Jerry this afternoon a good mead man and he really is a sound mead man and a great bloke indeed and he was telling us their new baby on the way in September so lots to look forward to for Killian Donnelly in the uh, weeks and months ahead back tomorrow at half one with your late lunch I'm sorry I couldn't get the fairies for you we did our best Brian did his best for us anyway just to let you know the Lockrew Gardens Fairy Festival is taking place on the 22nd and 23rd of July from 12 to 6 each day at Lockrew Estate in Meath uh, all things fairy happening a fairy trail for the children there there's everything going on face painting storytelling circus performers music and much more everybody welcome to Lockrew this weekend and Emily Napper would be lovely uh, would be delighted to see you there Anyway, back tomorrow at half one. Big thank you to Fiona O'Brien and Brian Farley who have been looking after me today. Eddie Caffrey's on his way with the drive next. Thanks, Brian. And I leave you in the company of my woman, Miss Kylie Minogue. Padam, padam on your late lunch. See you tomorrow. I'm going to enjoy this one myself. Bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.